I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm actively in bed is the only time I'm not wearing a hat. Uh, and even when I take off the helmet, like the Dream Viewer helmet, I put the hat immediately back on. I get... I get knocked out. That's right. The first thing I come to is just get the hat back on and then move on. Well, you don't want your head to get cold. <laughs> so, so how did you guys happen to uh, come to make this very unusual? Yeah, that's that's the good question. You know, it it was a long, long process. It from the moment of conception to us talking right now is about a fifteen year span. Wow. Yeah. Um, and he never looks a day older. That's right. It's it, our, our movie can almost drive a car, I guess. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, um, it, it wasn't like 15 years working every day. Obviously it was a lot of kind of like, you got the idea, you write some treatment, yeah. you, you work on something else, you come back to it, you know, um, it kind of really got serious a couple of years ago in 2019. We, uh, yeah, a couple of things just came together and, and we said, I guess we can finally do this. And we, we shot it very quickly. And, um, you know, and then had all of 2020 to kind of like edit and do the special effects and the whole world was kind of shut down. It was kind of perfect because we could just, you know, work on the movie and, and not be expected to do anything else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's a, it's a, uh, I guess we should probably, um, we could, you should maybe probably mention the title. Nah. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> let's, let's not I'll have to read the notes. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is the movies that made me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. We're talking to a, it's a director writer team, uh, Kentucker Audley and Albert Burney. Um, and Kentucker's also uh, an actor. Uh, in the film, um, new movie out called Strawberry Mansion that is uh, in theaters now, also uh, just on VOD. And um, uh, I feel like I do this often. Um, so tell me if you hate this description because uh, we can fix it in post. But this is the kind of film where I saw the trailer and I always like, I'm always drawn in by stuff like this because you're like, I want this to be the good version of that. And so very often it is not. And so very often uh, filmmakers, especially, you know, can be very imaginative on tight budgets visually and lose sight of the fact that you have to actually still follow kind of basic rules of narrative and know how to tell a story. And within a few minutes, uh, those, those concerns were gone. I mean, it's, it's um, strawberry mansion is is a, I I really loved it. Um, It's a wonderful film. It's, uh, style is justified by the material. It's, um, and it kind of blindsided me. I sort of about halfway through, I'm like, this is actually a solid, really smart science fiction film. Uh, and, and again, somehow I didn't expect that from, uh, well, you don't often get science fiction pictures set in the future where people watch VHS. Although I would say that, that, that feels like something Gilliam would do. 
you know? Yeah, well, it course, reminded yeah. me a little bit uh, in parts of Gilliam and also Carol yeah. Zeman. Yes. Uh, yeah. th- there's a lot of stuff in it that just makes, wow, this is just like a Carol Zeman movie. I, For I, those of you who don't know Carol Zeman, he's a, he's a, a great Czechoslovakian animator who has directed some very interesting movies that are kind of obscure, but um, are uh, definitely worth seeking out. And, and, but but there's just a, there's a look to them that this picture occasionally approximates. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of both those directors and both of their uh, Baron Munchausen films. Um, yeah. Right. And this is kind of, you know, the, the ship imagery in this film, I think, was inspired a lot by the Baron yeah. Munchausen kind of. Oh, sure, yeah. And also it has some, uh, you know, for an obviously low-budget movie, it has some very good quality makeup effects. Yeah. Uh, and the In particular, the uh, giant collie head or wolf head or whatever it is that the errant son uh wears is it's, it's almost flawless i mean it it, it 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 looks like well they just took a real dog's head and they stuck it on this guy but that's I, impossible don't so, answer that question if it's the answer we don't want to hear no no it's uh it's, it's not it, it is not a real dog's head but i have to hide it from my real dog because when my dog sees it she freaks out she thinks there's a real dog in the house so that's very convincing yeah and the, that, just, and, and the fact that he went back for the turtle is what really sold me on the whole day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we underestimated how uh, connected people would be with the, with the turtle save, being saved. And uh, I think that's uh, the takeaway for, for a majority of the, the viewers is that um, the turtle was the hero. And <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of notes on, on the order that should have, like, when I, when I run back into the house, like, what, what should have been the order that I saved the items in the film? and there's some speculation that I should have saved the turtle last, uh, so that it uh, that, would that just, was sort of that would just be cruel. Right. <laughs> I'd say this is a spoiler; it. we should cut it. But I will tell you, there was that period of time between the introduction of the turtle and its salvation, where my wife Nancy was definitely on the edge. Like, if if it had not worked out, she was going to fucking hate you. And yeah. and uh, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm I kind of wish she had not undergone that. So that's all right. It's a it's a CGI turtle, folks. It doesn't that's nothing, right. nothing right. can really happen. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, yeah, but I'm glad you mentioned the the the, the mask and the you know the makeuping and that that was our sort of a, a, an early concern of ours, just trying to harken back to the the, the practical practical effects, practical co- uh, costumes and masks that that we loved from our, our childhood and um, and we were able to work with some really brilliant mask makers and uh, other artists that were that we collaborated with to get that that stuff right to make it feel real and. Yeah, it really lends an Alice in Wonderland flair to a lot of it. You know, yeah. um, it's it's just a really it's just a very unexpected movie. I mean, you know, I uh, Josh sent it to me and said, you know, this is this movie is really cool. You won't like. It. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I was. I didn't know. I was yeah. not certain. There's but uh, I I found it very charming and um, and and it's, and it's great to have you guys here. Well, yes. we're so excited to be here. Thank you. So we're honored and you. you Gremlins director we're speaking to here? No, that's the other joke. No, that's another joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so obviously that's, you know, it's a huge honor to be on the show. And uh, uh, thanks for having us. Uh, no, thanks for coming on. And uh, very excited. Obviously, we'll cut all that stuff earlier because we don't talk to filmmakers about their work. Uh, well, we're not going to cut it all. <laughs> no, all of it. All of it. We can cut their names. Yeah. We just want to talk to you about the movies you like. But, uh, but if people didn't have something to plug, they wouldn't come on our show. 
Um, <laughs> not always the case. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, kind of wanted to pick your brains about like what, what has inspired you and what um, you guys want to talk about sort of films that had kind of fed your desire and vision of this film. So I thought that would be kind of fun to uh, hear you discuss. Definitely. Yeah. Cause this is uh, a movie that is very much inspired by movies and um, mostly in, or firstly inspired by the, the feeling as uh, when Kentucky and I were kids and you'd go into a video store, like on a Friday night with your friends and there's just, you know, a whole wall of, of these tapes and they're, you know, each one you pick it up and it's just beautiful paintings or, or images. You turn it over, you get a couple more images from the movie and kind of going back what you said, Josh, a second ago about like, I hope this is as good as I, it looks, you know, like so many times you would take them home and, it wouldn't be quite as good as you you thought it would be. And like the movies that yeah. you'd made in your head on the drive home were almost better in a way. Yes. Um, so yeah, we, we love movies and this is kind of like our, uh, we, we say it's like a movie that we, we would want our 12 year olds to maybe like find in the video store on like a Friday night and take home. Right. Oh, exactly. So, um, yeah. So what did you guys, what do you guys like? Where did you, where did you kind of come from cinematically? Like you want to sort of start with one and we'll dive in or, of course, yeah, but like, but I'll, let me circle back to. I, I honestly think that is getting the trailer and the poster to the point where it looks good is is kind of half the battle, and uh, almost I would I would make an argument that it, you know that uh, that as long as yeah, like seeing the movie on your on the way home from the from the video store, or the the theater, it's like that whatever the movie that you make in your head, I think that's that's half the battle. And I think with Strawberry Mansion, we were trying to make a film that that worked on a lot of levels, but ultimately just threw a lot of images at you and tried to make you um, be transported to some, some other place that you don't, you know, that you, you don't see in your normal daily life. And that's, that's the sort of power of those trailers and posters. Um, well, that's also, I mean, that's kind of where Joe comes from. That's the old Corman aesthetic to some extent. The like, uh, well, we were misrepresenting things. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not always Joe. We cheated. We cheated a lot. Well, right. You just, we're not yeah, above you, cheating. No, we're, you just got to get them in the door or in the theater, you know. Get their butts in the seats. Yep, yeah. Right. Yep. No. And that's so if the trailer were like, we we wanted to throw everything in the trailer. I put pretty much all of the special effects are in there, you know. Uh, uh, if you, I mean, it's been a surprise that people have actually thought that the movie lives up to the trailer and the poster. Uh, and that's been a delight. But um, yeah. We, we were definitely of the camp that if this was going to, if this was going to feel like a fake out, then we were willing to do that because we just throw it all got to get, get you in the seat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess to, to jump right in, I was just looking at our list that of, of movies that we kind of put together for this. And uh, two, I think right off the bat, jump out for their posters. I remember being a kid and seeing these posters are very different movies, but they're both from uh, 1984 and that's the never ending story and nightmare on Elm street. Uh, Wolfgang Peterson and Wes Craven. A um, feature. Yeah, that, you know, but but to me, like that, those two movies were like my childhood back and forth. You know, I would I would watch uh, Never Ending Story kind of every week with my sister. And then as I got a teeny bit older and, you know, Freddy Krueger was so big in the, the mid to late 80s. And, um, you know, I, I, I even dressed up as, a, as like a third grader. So, you know, I was very young watching these movies, but Freddy Krueger, I think, you know, it was scary, but there was just enough like humor or lightness in his character that like a, you know, nine, 10 year old kid could, uh, could watch it. But, um, 
That that's oh, that's surreal to me because I remember kids did like that film. I mean, I'm I'm a bit older than you guys, so it was like I'm, I'm seeing this as an adult, and it's just this is a guy who murdered children. And am I incorrect? It's been a long time, but is it even kind of suggested in the first one they liked him up a bit that he did more than just murder them? Is that yeah? <laughs> there was it was always in the background. Right. It was always there, but you know, it's also yeah. a dream movie. I mean, it's, it's... and uh, you're okay. <laughs> yeah. Can we interrogate that for a moment? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus. I I think, um, I think like Joe, you just said, it's a dream movie. So it was, you know, probably the first time I ever saw a a dream movie and saw what you could do where, you know, you could be running up the stairs and suddenly your feet go through the floor and, you know, you're in one location and then another. And I think that was very freeing to my, to my young, you know, adolescent brain of like, oh, you can really do anything in, in a movie. You can, you know. You can be chased by a murdering, you know, psychopath and then, uh, you know, wake up and he's still there, you know? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a terrific film. Um, it's just, it's, it's all strange to me what connects with, I mean, again, I had a, hey. uh, at the time, my 12 year old sister was in love with pretty woman. So, you know, it's, right. Um, <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's all depends on when you see the films and, yeah. uh, you know, how, what age you're at, sort of what pop culture is feeding you at that moment. And, uh, I think like Alan, Alan and I are the same age. So we, we kind of went, went through our childhood in the same way being being exposed to the same movies at the same time and i think that really bonds us as as movie lovers and gives us a shorthand when we're we're making movies together the never ending story is one we talked about a lot and it's sort of like being being like 6 years old and watching that and not really knowing knowing what like love is and or what terror is or this this these these big adventures um, visual landscapes that you're just being your eyes are being introduced to for the first time and like this Mm -hmm. this real incredible sense of dread and tension and 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 existential questions and i you know it's just things that it hit at the right time so that it never goes away and um when we were making strawberry mansion like that's the one we kept coming back to and back to and saying like i want to make a movie that feels that approximate the feeling of the of, of that of the melodrama mixed with the adventure and the this this the sweep of it. Um, but yeah, and the, the, I mean, with like Albert said, the poster is just it transports you immediately, and you're there. Right. Um, so. Yeah, it's interesting you say sweep because I mean, obviously, those movies had a lot of money, and I'm 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 guessing. I mean, it's funny because your film. How do you know this from looking at a movie, Joe? I was about to say your movie looks like you had way less money than it looks like. Does that make sense? And it is funny. And that's the, I mean, that's the common thing people say is, I mean, you, so you recognize that it feels big, but that it, you know, that it didn't have a lot of money. And I, I, we, yeah, we did, we didn't have barely any money compared to a normal movie. And that's what we were trying to do is trying to do a fantasy movie, a sci-fi movie on, on a really small budget. Um, which I think that's what maybe people were responding to is, is the, the, the ambition of it. People thought, the script that we wrote couldn't be made for less than 20 million. And, and we, we come from a really DIY indie background. So we knew that we weren't going to get that much money and we didn't need it. We would just sort of find a way to, to, to do it practically and, and in-house and with the artists and craftspeople that we already knew. Um, but the idea so, solves it too. I mean, you know, the, the idea of a movie about 
of uh, dreams with advertising in them. And, and, and a man who works for a tax company and his job is to, is to figure out how much money, uh, how much tax uh, should go with the things that you're dreaming about uh, is very, it's very, it's a very clever and unusual premise. Uh, and uh, it's, it's almost a fifties, a uh, short story science fiction premise, you know, yeah. Uh, like yeah. something yeah. Right or something. And, um, but, it, but that's, that really grounds it. And, and it makes it so much more interesting than just watching a guy in a house with a lady, you know, right. because you always know underneath you've got it. What's the secret of this? What's going on? And, and one of the characters is a pitchman friend of this guy who is always around. He's always trying to sell him something. And then he's half the time he's, uh, he's electronic and half the time he's real. Um, and is uh, he's sort of I, I, he's kind of the villain uh, in the movie, although he passes himself off as the hero's pal. Um, and it's and all, but and, and there that's not a lot of screen time in the movie because the movie is mostly a, a, about you know uh, getting back uh, from where they are. Um, but it's uh, it just, it keeps you going because you want to you want to address that that idea, you know, because it's so unusual. Yeah, we knew we had a. Uh, Albert came up with this idea of, uh, of um, you know, recording dreams and watching them back, and you know, it's, it's sort of this fantasy that a lot of people have. I think of just like what what would it look like if you could record your dreams and watch them back, and then that in, inevitably uh, evolved into like, well, I guess maybe if you could watch them, maybe that there would be a way to inject something into them. You know, that's where the ads came in, and, and sort of start uh, unspooling from there. We knew. We knew we, we, we weren't going to be, it's not, wasn't going to be a heavily plotted film, but we, that was a central premise that we could really dig into and, um, and, and, and carry the, carry the weight of the, the general story through that. Yeah. Um, and, and what, what you said, Joe, about like the, the 1950s kind of sci-fi, you know, I, my dad showed me the Twilight Zone when I was really young and I got obsessed with all, you know, watching every Twilight Zone episode and then, you know, reading like Ray Bradbury's short stories and, I think a lot of those, like the seeds of the movie were probably planted around that, that time of like, you know, this, this government worker who's, who's has this very kind of, you know, normal job of auditing, but it's, oh, it's auditing dreams and, you know, trying to, yeah, kind of build the whole movie around this very, you know, boring, bureaucratic uh, character who kind of has his mind blown and gets lost down the rabbit hole. Yeah, like uh, some of the movies that we came here to talk about, I think we're have ha, that sort of every man bureauc- lost in bureaucracy kind of thing, which yeah, um, yeah it's sort of like the the Barton Fink world or and the, mm. or the um, you know even even movies like Being There, I think were influential uh, in, in a abstract kind of way, or just sort of beyond the costuming. I think like we were really looking for examples of of, of 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 movies with men in fedoras and suits and you know so being there was a big reference point as well as the documentary salesman uh mm, sure. from the 60s that was yeah. sort of like obviously the film is not like that in any way but it, it just the sort of costume reference point well the salesman uh, aesthetic he's got the, yeah. that or the businessman aesthetic yeah. or so just sort of the businessman uh, showing up a stranger's house to to do something that the stranger is uh, you know just sort of entering into the world of somebody else out of the blue um but yeah and, and even movies like uh 
like uh you know you know like a lot, a lot of the Coen Brothers stuff has um ha- has those bureaucracy kind of elements um or what was the other one besides Barton Fink Hudsucker yeah Hudsucker oh, yeah, Hudsucker is a good example yeah yeah just that mix of like really stylized um plots and um yeah oh we'll see where else are we yeah, Barton Fink is. A, I, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I think I don't know. You can't be a screenwriter and not sort of love that movie. But uh, um, yeah. it's it is also a movie set in a more recognizably real world than yours to some extent. But at the same time, it also has that great kind of dream logic to it. And yeah, uh, um, yeah I can see a sort of straight line from that to uh, to your film. Yeah, I I also just really love films that mostly take place kind of in one central uh location you know like barton mm-hmm. fink when i think of that movie i know that he, hotel i think of that hotel i think of that room i think of like the hallway yeah. outside i think of the lobby uh, you know there's all these little moments where he'll go and he'll meet with his you know an agent or um you know the the drunk screen his his hero yeah. so, oh, so um but yeah, it's like that room. And, and then another one on the list, Eraserhead for me is another mm. one that just kind of takes place in a room. And I love, and like The Shining, even to an extent, you're kind of like in one location, you know, you're yeah. in one central place. But I love what what filmmakers, who they like really stretch that room out or that space out to the point where it doesn't feel like you're in one place. You know, like Barton Fink's going to stare at the the wallpaper peeling and it goes into a close-up and you are, you're like reverse on Totoro's face and you know, just drawing it out and making these spaces feel kind of like infinite, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, like we're a good chunk of our movies in one room, uh, but we're, within that room, you know, we're, we're jumping out to all these different places. And it's funny too, because of, of the ones you've discussed so far, the, especially the ones that sort of really stick to a kind of dream logic and, and feel, um, they're all menacing dreams. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the, I would say that's the, the common, uh, most common cinematic approach to, to dreams and, and even like sci-fi stuff, I think is always, is usually menacing and, and dark and dystopian. We, we wanted to push up against that a little bit because we love the dark stuff, but also maybe there's a little bit of a, a attempt to uh, allow some hope, hopefulness and some, uh, some wonder into the, these traditionally uh, dystopian settings. Um, but which is something the Coen brothers don't, don't really, don't, they don't really go there. I mean, they go, you know, they go in the, the light comedy stuff with raising Arizona and, and movies like that, that were also very influential just to, to find that. I mean, a lot of the influences that we were working from or just like how they weigh the comedy, how they weigh the rhythm of the film, how they, um, you know, how, how they just balance the tone more than just like. Uh, direct plots, plotting things, or direct kind of um, viewpoints on the world. Yeah, and and true. Yeah, those guys do not trade in hope, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Which well, I love. I mean, is, uh... <laughs> right? Yeah, Macbeth's a real. Uh, yeah, that's a smile <laughs> face. Yeah, <laughs> and some of those are my some of my favorite movies, though. Just the, the, the dreary, the, the more dreary, the better. You and Dave, Lou and Davis, is just like one. It's one of my favorite movies. So so, uh, just just hopeless and and desolate. And I, yeah, but but they they're so good about mixing the humor in with like the darkness. Like mm-hmm. 
the the scene I always think about Lewin Davis is like he's he's trying to get rid of this box of records that he has his own records and he like goes to look under a table on a tablecloth and someone else has already stashed their records under there like they can't no one can sell their records and it's like it's 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 dark in a way but it like I you know I laugh out loud every time it's just so so I, I think they're really good at kind of like you know they they pepper in little moments like that to to keep you feeling you know not totally yeah no if you're laughing it's um you don't quite notice how <laughs> how hopeless and desolate right, right. <laughs> yeah oh, I'm totally that? very relatable to have um a, a, a box of things that you of, of dvds in my case of early work that had high hopes to sell never 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 could unload just gradually throw them away over the years just like five at a time I guess there's this is nothing's gonna happen with these. Like um, but yeah. Love the Cohen brothers were huge for us. Um I mean, I would say each of their films was very instrumental in different ways. I, I will ask, and I know this can be a incendiary subject to some so we're gonna but but um did Wes Anderson appeal to you guys? Is that a because I while yeah. I don't oh sorry, I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, of course. I mean, it's another thing and another, you know, being the age we are and being a wannabe filmmakers. Um, Wes Anderson's first film, Bottle Rocket, is the reason I make movies. Um, oh, wow. okay. that, that, that was my that was my original inspiration. That was when I, when I fell in love with indie films to begin with in eighth grade, seeing that movie and really responding to its just goofy charm and sincerity and yeah um sense of like low key you know this is possible kind of feeling in the film um yeah but yeah and on from there you know i love all those films there there's maybe i'll embarrass kentucky here but there's a photo of him in high school with uh wes anderson because he when rushmore came out so his second film uh he was doing like a, a bus tour across the country and you could go you know say hey to him and jason schwartzman and it's uh it's a wonderful photo every every couple of years whenever Wes Anderson puts out a new film that that photo somehow pops up on uh <laughs> Tucker's timeline it's always a, a treat <laughs> yeah that's that's how it all started but uh, it, it's you know it's it, we don't really think of Wes Anderson when we're making the movies but that that always gets referenced um well, you know, it makes sense because even though there's not any overt connection he is he is a filmmaker who's very highly stylized and more so since since then and and yet the films for me at least are always grounded in a strong sense of story and, and narrative yeah. and character which um and, and for me somehow there's always a moment in a Wes Anderson film in the first couple of minutes where I have to remind myself of that because the style <laughs> can be so overwhelming and so suggestive <laughs> of something else that I all I swear to god the first five minutes of every Wes Anderson movie annoy the shit out of me uh yeah and, yeah, and yeah. I end up loving almost all of them Right. And I, I was the same way with uh, like Grand Budapest Hotel, especially I remember seeing that and like, you know, I got swept up in it. And there's all these maybe I don't want to call them Wes Anderson haters, but they're they're like, oh, it's all substance. But with when I watch those movies, they're, they're still style. emotional. Yeah. Or, or I mean, all style. style uh, yeah. um, but to me, there's you know, there is a lot of substance and there's a lot of emotion, like the characters yeah. uh, really there's like those lines that sure like they're they're funny or you kind of um laugh but then they also like kind of destroy you in a way and and i'm so invested in in these like kind of crazy zany 
like Grand Budapest is almost like an animation come to life in the way that, yeah. you know, it's just like this slapstick, like, you know, skiing down a mountain and, you know, going up the ski lift. And it's just like, uh, it's so outrageous, but I, yeah, I, I love, I love yeah. when, when it all comes together. They're so dense that you, I, I find myself not being able to properly appreciate it. The first viewing and, uh, and then you watch them like, is, that's not, is that me? That, that microphone sound? That's fine. Okay. So, yeah. So, uh, I, I, you know, you watch a Wes Anderson movie in a theater and it, it's too much to handle, too much to take in. It's overwhelming and you can't get nearly, you can't get half the stuff that it's, it's putting on frame. And then you watch it years later in, in a hotel room and, and it's just a delight because you're just, you're remembering and you're putting, you're seeing new things and it's just, they're all, you can, they're all capable of being rewatched so many times. We tried to do that with Strawberry Mansion. Um, of just packing the frame with yes. as, min, as much color and, and visual excitement as we could. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a huge reference point for just the, our, our general, like the way we see an image was very influenced by Wes Anderson for, to, from the beginning, even though, yeah, like I said, we, we kind of, we don't, we, we, sh we shy away from the reference point because we really try to find that you know the quirky and whimsy kind of tags are are they're in the film, but um, it, it, it try to balance that with some some darkness or some uh, some new, uh, yeah, some some different kind of energy. Yeah, no, for sure, and it works. It works. Uh, well, give us another one. Um, another one, uh, Tim Burton, nineteen eighty eight, Beetlejuice. Ah, um, which. I don't think uh, anyone's ever brought up Beetlejuice on the show. Really? Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's a favorite of both of ours. I think, you know, this kind of sci-fi idea that you're, you die and you're, you're a ghost and you're stuck in the house and you're, you're trying to get to the afterlife and you're trying to haunt the people that, you know, it's just a really out there idea, but it's so fun and playful and the mixing of the, you know, animation, the stop motion animation, we definitely were inspired by that in, in our movie, um, and it's just, yeah, I think it's a movie that feels like it's um, very unique and and doing its own thing in, in a weird way. And it all just works, you know, like that's the kind of movie that I could imagine it not working or or like if, if the music wasn't right or if the, you know, the visuals weren't quite there or the script, all these things. So even Michael Keaton's performance is perfect. And he, I think, is only in the movie for 17 minutes, which is just crazy. You know, you think of mm. Beetlejuice and it's like, Oh, Beetlejuice must be in the movie for, you know, uh, yeah. the whole thing. But he, he shows up in these little scenes and he just wins you over. And then, you know, he's gone for another 10 minutes. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've not, uh, I've not seen that in a million years, but it is, um, it's a film that stays with you. And uh, I can't, God, this is stupid. It, it, he did, Burton didn't write it, did he? Am I wrong, Joe? I don't or? think so. No. Because I don't think he tends to, um, oh yeah, here we go. Michael McDowell and Warren Scarron. Uh, yeah, that kind of one-two punch too from him of Pee Wee and, and Beetlejuice was uh, definitely felt like an arrival of somebody with a kind of distinct vision. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Trying yeah. to find, yeah, like the 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 um, the ability to kind of simultaneously have a, a story through line, but then allow the the space to break out into these stylized sequences with the, with the song with the fantasy song sequence, people floating and. Uh, you know, this Calypso around the table and it's like, it just really 
the freedom of, of, of making work that feels light, um, but, but keeps you on enough on the thread that you're, you're not, um, wandering too far, but just, I, I mean, I, th- I think that's what most people remember from Beetlejuice and most memorable films have these kind of tangential sequences that, uh, kind of exist beyond the, the story, uh, or, or just in, in, enliven it with, with ex- visual excitement. I think, um, yeah. that's what we're, we were trying to do with, with our film and, and, uh, yeah, Tim Burton. I, I mean, I think he actually doesn't do that as much these days. I mean, I think that was maybe sort of an accidental kind of thing that happened in the early days. When when you're making movies and you don't have complete control or you don't have complete control of your vision, I think accidents happen easy, easier. Uh, mm-hmm. And just the story of like how that music came to be instead of, I mean, I think they Tim Burton originally had a very different idea of the music that would be playing in those um in those scenes. And I, you know, you listen to the, to the song he, he wanted it and it doesn't seem like it would be near as memorable as it was. Um, as the Harry Belafonte. Yeah. 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 Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. He's always struck me as somebody who, um, I guess it's true of a lot of people, but, but, uh, my, my favorites of his films, he's always working under some constraint. Mm, yeah. Um, I- and and yeah, and I just I feel like it's kind of it's it's uh, I think most artists I don't know you agree with you Joe that like having something to push back against uh, helps. Well, that's Roger Corman used to say that he found the greatest freedom and the greatest restriction because he was always trying to make these pictures for Dollar ninety eight, which completely changed the way he would approach showing things and right. and shooting them and stuff. But um, I, uh, I I almost directed Beetlejuice because I was I was actually offered. Yeah. Beetlejuice, which was a, which was a good script, but I had just done uh, the same plot uh, for an episode of Amazing Stories oh. that I did, <laughs> and it was it was so similar yeah. that I said I you know I, this is this is obviously a, a better project than than the TV show I just did, but I, I just I I already shot my wad, I did it already, you yeah. know. So you, and then oh. uh, so they so they went to Tim. That's wow. that's fascinating. They what went to Tim. For, they they were gonna go to Tim for Grumble. But uh, Spielberg thought that he didn't have enough experience because he'd never done a feature. He'd only done Frank and Winnie. Wow. Oh. By the way, Albert and I watched Gremlins in, on a drive-in theater. Uh, before Was it before we made Strawberry Mansion? Um, it, was, it was actually, oh. yeah, it was before Strawberry Mansion. Yeah, it was 2019, yeah. that summer. So add that to the, add that to the list. Yeah, the, was, yeah. That the, was that the, uh, that was the week it was the number one movie in the country, I believe, wasn't yeah. it, Joe? Yeah, yeah everybody, was, everybody else was sick. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But I think that was the week where if you sold two tickets, you were the number one. It's true. Yeah. Nobody went. Yeah. Well, like the only well, operating theater. Where was that? Where was am I am I wrong? It, was it? It looks like one theater. Was it was that, we saw it or, at the Mahoning drive-in here in, in Maryland, where I am. We were our car was parked in the front row. And actually it was a um I think it was a double feature talking about Tim Burton again with Nightmare Before Christmas. And, yes, uh, that's right. Yeah, and and Gremlins played first. And uh, and then nightmare, or what was the other way around? No, Gremlins was first. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was incredible. We, I mean, that that hit exactly at the right. Like, talk about what uh, hitting uh, a movie hitting at the right time for the age you were. Gremlins was like, you know, for us growing up, that was like the number one movie of that year. And it, yeah, that's personal fave. Oh, that's fantastic. 
Um, yeah. yeah, I think because we were, we were, and my, maybe I'm misremembering, but yeah, because it was early in the pandemic and everything was shut down, quarantined. And I think yeah. we even had, we had Joe Bob Briggs on the same week. Am I wrong? Do you remember this? Yeah, and it was right. like, not only is Joe Bob Briggs finally, you know, vindicated that and validated the drive-ins are the future, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. And then my, my co-host does the number one movie in the country because of that. It was, <laughs> it was a great time. It was a great time. I miss the early yeah, days so nostalgic for the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it back. Yeah. yeah, no, it's coming. It's coming. It's right. coming. Right. <laughs> right around the corner. God. Well, let's let's do another one. What else do yeah. you have, Joe? Um, let's see. Well, what it? yeah, what do you got? Well, I was kind of just keeping in the kids kids uh movie realm. Um we, we can move on. So, you know, we can move on to the more arty experimental films if 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 we want. But I, uh, I, I think the uh another one that hit at the right time, I think it was maybe 87 or so was a film's Honey, I Strong with the Kids, yeah. which, you know, very low, you know, we got, we love to mix the high and low. And that was a movie that I, I guess was considered a, kind of a low, uh, you know, on the low end of the spectrum. But I, I, it was like so fantastical. And I think like looking, thinking back about that film, I, I, I was just like oh, watching that movie and thinking, oh, and just, and just it forming in my brain that this is what movies are supposed to feel like. Um, and ultimately I think Strawberry Mansion has a lot to do with that movie and basically the same plot, which is just trying to get back home, mm. you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think just having this, uh, these kids in these miniature forms trying to like make their way through their backyard is just a, such a really clever and fun and just allows so, so much visual excitement. Yeah. And, and like anything can happen, you know, there's a, they're on a bumblebee flying around the yard and now they're, you know, they're protecting their aunt friend and it's this very emotional scene, but also just like the mixing of, you know, like the technology, like there's this machine, this huge, you know, bulky machine in the attic that Rick Moranis makes that can shrink them down. And they don't, he doesn't really ever explain it. You just see it on the camera. You see it on, you know, in the scene and it's, the lights are blinking and it's buzzing and then it shoots the ray and you just believe it, you know? And I think, we thought a lot about that where it's like, you know, well, how does the ad blocker helmet work or how does the, the dream viewing machine work? And it's, it's like, well, it doesn't really matter if you just show it on the screen and it looks cool and sure, it's working, it, yeah. you know, it's yep. like, let's, let's get past that technical stuff and get to the fun stuff, you know? Yeah. And by well, what's the answer going to be, you know, it's, it's like how do warp engines work? Dilithium crystals. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Right. I mean, it's, it's just, <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> you know, the flux capacitor and, you know, yeah, the flux I mean, capacitor. Yeah. Exactly. Just a couple of fancy words and then we'll, we'll, we'll believe anything. Um, I, I love that film. And I remember finding out it was, it was, uh, you, you were, you were friends with Stuart back then, were you not Joe or cause it, Yes, I was. It was a Stuart Gordon project originally. Mm -hmm. he had, uh, did did you ever get a sense? Did you ever read his his version of it? Was it darker? Was it? It was. It was just different. I mean, it was a Disney movie, so you know they obviously had to go through the Disneyfication process. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just, from the from the mind of the man who brought us Reanimator, it almost kind of tickled me. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that would have been. Yeah, I would love to. You know, you you imagine like what is his Honey, I Shrunk the Kids look like? What is, uh, yeah. Joe, what does your Beetlejuice look like? You know, it's like these alternate universes where you get these different versions of these beloved films. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Scrambled. 
Hey, we're going to take a quick break from our conversation with Kentucker and Albert. And yep, it's that time. We're going to say a big thank you to our sponsor. Many of the movies, if not all of them, uh, that we discuss on the show uh, today and every day are available at MoviesUnlimited.com, the experts on movies since 1978. You're going to find thousands of titles to choose from. Classics, hard to find stuff, new releases, imports. They're a great source for imports. Um, so support our sponsor and be good to yourself. Sure, you could stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, you watch what you want to watch and when you want to watch it. And there's always a ton of great content and bonus features like director commentaries, deleted scenes, and stuff like that. Click the Movies Unlimited banner on our website, the trailersfromhell.com website, or just go to moviesunlimited.com and buy your favorites. Um, old stuff, new stuff. Uh, shipping is always free on orders over $50. So check them out at moviesunlimited.com where all they care about is movies, movies, movies. Nah, that's not true. They care about a lot of things, but they really care about movies. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, what, what's next? Yeah, so I, I maybe we go, go into some, uh, like, uh, leave the kids realm a little bit. Uh, well, maybe the, the, the bridge might be uh spirited away this mm. is sort of, sort of still a kids movie but more um i, w- I would say it's a more artistic minded um film i don't know it's, it's funny because when you think about honey i shrunk the kids is not really artistic but i i, I don't know it's, it's it seems very artistic compared to what they make now mm. um and very visually clever um but well, yeah maybe. Yeah, well, one thing that all these movies, before we get into Spirit Away, like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Beetlejuice, we're still, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Neverending Story. These are all like uh, 100% before CGI, before computer graphics. And I think that's what we both really respond to. And, and you know, like uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, you can tell the kids are hanging on to a giant bee in front of like a, a blue screen, you know. Right. And, and the, you know, it's it's bucking them around and there's giant blades of grass that were really made, you know, they, they were real. If the, if these movies were made today, they would be just, you know, I don't want to get into it too much, but I, I just, I, I, I can't connect with these CGI movies where everything on the screen is like a computer, you know, you know, it, there's just no, none of that um, emotional kind of relationship with it. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, I, I would call Honey, I Shrunk the Kids a, a, a beautiful artistic uh, endeavor, you know. I'm, I I'm with it. I'm with yeah. it. And I mean, also, the, the, the blade. Sorry. No, it's just to the, 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 from the, there. There is a delight in. It doesn't take it doesn't take me out of the film. Um, in a way that CG does actually, yeah, where yeah. it's it's also convincing, and yet somehow not. There's such a delight in watching a movie like yours, where every single thing on the screen, somebody had to make, somebody had to figure out how to shoot it so that it would work, and it's it just makes yeah. it more lively. I think. Yeah. Well, these, it goes back to the thing about the, the flux capacitor and the the, re, the realism of the these far fetched concepts, like you know the ray gun that shrinks kids. It's like none of those things 
as real, you know, right. so it, it, there's no, there's no way to make a mini more real, like by using more computers. Right. Um, but people have this sense that, Oh, like if you, you just need, you know, like it, it, making it by hand, making a giant blade of grass that looks like a slide, uh, instead of, yeah, it, it, that to me, that doesn't make it any less realistic. It, it, it makes, yeah, like you said, it makes it more realistic. Um, maybe it's not hyper natural the way that it looks, but you can, it's tangible. It's, 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 it, it, you can tell you're looking at something yeah. that was actually there. Like, and, and going back to like the werewolf head we made, you know, like if that's CG, it just doesn't scare me. But if it, if it feels like it's in the space and it's, it's, you could reach out and touch it, then I'm, then I'm scared. Like I think about, um, back to Nightmare Before Elm Street, there's, there's a scene where she picks up the phone and like Freddie's tongue comes out of the phone oh, and yeah. kind of like, right. Yes. It, it licks her. And it's, it's like so terrifying. If that was done nowadays and it was like this computer tongue, you know, maybe the movement would be more realistic or something, but it just, you know, well, you I, guys, you guys have one of the all time great tongue shots. In the uh, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen an actor's tongue so big um, in slow motion. Uh, yeah, no spoilers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's put that on the DVD. No more, box. No more one details. Of the, one of the all-time great tongue shots. <laughs> I'm sure. Not a huge amount of competition, but yeah, I will take it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you didn't use a stand-in there? <laughs> no, I was worried that it might indicate some health problem that I had, um, <laughs> I, or maybe a hopeful, and that maybe can somebody could spot you know, an issue early that I had but seeing it on a huge screen, but no, that was, um, yeah, that was a fun thing to just sort of lock you into a movie. That's, uh, yeah, not your average movie. If, if a tongue is going to get this big, then it's good. You know, you're in for an, a, a surprise. That's all we're going to say about it. Yeah. yeah. See yeah. the film. Yeah. Um, but then like, yeah, getting a little older and uh, being more exposed to some, some international films and uh, films that uh, like Spirited Away, Miyazaki films uh, mm -hmm. were just very influential to our kind of mid period. Um, when, when were you introduced to Miyazaki, Albert? Yeah, I think I, I, was, um, I was in college and Spirited Away came out and then Princess Mononoke before that. It might've been, I saw Princess Mononoke and then Spirited Away. And then, you, you know, I kind of went back uh, and, and rented a bunch of them. And then some of them were back in theaters every couple of years. And I saw them, you know, film prints of them. But yeah, Miyazaki is um, just just a master of creating these worlds that are very, we recognize them as our world, but there's little things that are a little bit off. Like there's a giant, you know, creature named you know, Totoro who's kind of walking around or, you know, in Spirited Away, it's like she gets trapped in this bathhouse and she, you know, has to, go through all these trials and, and grow as a, you know, young uh, woman to, to like not be afraid anymore. Um, and I, I think about the shot at the, towards the beginning of that, where her family, her parents are like just picking out on this food and she's like, we got to get out of here. What are we doing? And then she looks back and they've turned into pigs. And then, you know, now they're just full on pigs and it's totally nightmarish, but because I think it's hand-drawn animation, you know, it's like, Oh, it's a kid's movie. But that idea, I think, probably was a seed of of in our movie when peter the son turns into the wolf where it's just kind of and i guess it's not just like you know miyazaki doing it, it's very old fairy tales of you know right. uh you know your loved ones kind of transforming into to wolves or, or to other creatures but 
Um, I, I, I love just the freedom in Miyazaki's films where anything can kind of happen at any moment, um, but they're always very grounded in kind of like a hero's journey type of story. Yeah, and they're, and they're also just very gentle uh, and humanistic, which is rare for, for animation. And I think we were really trying to make something that felt uh, like warm. And uh, that, that's also something you don't very often see in a, a, a sci-fi movie. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, so live action Miyazaki is, was, an, was something that we were aiming for. And that's what we continue to, to aim for. That's sort of it's funny to, to go from the heavy, like the uh, real effects of, of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids into the complete, completely um, animated world of Spirited Away. But yeah, those, those it, it's fun to try to have that balance of, of, uh, of kid, kids' movies and movies that uh, have a darker edge. Yeah, and even it's funny. My uh, my seven year old niece has just become obsessed with Miyazaki, and, and uh, I, mean, I think it's um, and she's loving them. And I think she's going to have that joy of going back to them maybe in ten, fifteen years and getting to love them all over from a completely different perspective. Definitely, it's, they definitely work for kids too. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. What else? What else? Um, let's see. Well, one movie that I, I saw probably around the same time I saw Spirited Away was uh, Maya Darren's short film, Meshes of the Afternoon, which is, I guess, maybe not, I guess Wizard of Oz, which is on our list is a little bit older, but uh, Meshes of the Afternoon from 1943. You know, I think it was just the first time where I saw, well, first off, her her kind of storytelling, her film techniques are so far ahead of of like anyone else in 1943, what she was doing with like blocking and, you know, different exposures and, and different having her be in, in this, this scene, the same shot four times, you know, all these things, but just like creating this dream feeling without like saying, it's not a dream. It's just kind of, I guess you call it like an experimental film, but kind of just like opening my eyes of what you could do. And like, wow, this person was doing it like, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Um, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not seeing the film. Are you, uh, it's actually, it's actually regaining some popularity. Um, uh, Meshes in the Afternoon, which is uh, a movie that generally is taught in film school. Yeah, uh, that's mainly where people see it, and, and or in certain subterranean theaters in New York where right. they would run <laughs> sixteen millimeter. Um, but it's uh, it's 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 you know it's along with Bruce Connor and, and all those kind of um, under under quote underground movies from the period that are, are now coming back to the fore, and people are mm. really sort of catching on to what was going on there. Yeah. And I, there's a part of me that always wants to like maybe lean more into experimental narratives or into, you know, film techniques that, that would kind of probably not work in, in our film. But then, um, I, I, you know, I think like when, when, our, not a spoiler, but when our character at one point kind of gets hit over the head and goes into this other space for 30 seconds and it's, you know, there's a lot of images flashing at you. It's, it's like a little mini experimental film that, um, mm, sure. Yeah. You know, it, I think if I wasn't, if I wasn't co-directing, co-writing with Kentucker, the film would probably have a lot more of those and it would be not as effective and it would be really boring. <laughs> um, so it had some stop motion in it. So good it's collaboration. Good. Yeah, yes. it, it works. I think it works. Well, a little goes a long way. You just gotta, you gotta 
show that you've seen the movies <laughs> you have some sort of frame of reference beyond just like you know hollywood standards and then uh move on <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean I, I i personally haven't even seen that one but you know just sort of like the the the, the, the real reference points for me and like avant-garde is stand brackage uh and and that there's that sort of sense of um just playing with a film and uh yeah that i think that sequence also could be very stan brackage ish um yeah and then i think we come right back to um we come right back to hollywood indie movies with lost in translation which is something we both watched on the plane yesterday um a film that i think really that's the that's the one that's not the the first time i'm guessing no, right. yeah. yeah, I've seen it a couple times, but I, some people have have mentioned the the melancholy in Strawberry Mansion, which um, which we're really excited to to to. I think it, in, anything that we do, I think we want to have this kind of sad clown atmosphere surrounding it or adjacent. Um, and there's just so, a really lovely sense of lyrics, like this lyrical melancholy in, in that film and i just love the i just love the performances and so, yeah it's something that we watched you know at, at a formative period in our life just first starting to to love indie films and uh you know getting into like the wes anderson movies and like the swingers and clerks and buffalo 66 and todd salons and jim jarmusch and, and this and then this came and it's sort of like the end of that era of our lives of like the first wave of understanding what independent film is and this this kind of represented that period to me of like this is very very quiet minimal but incredibly effective and it's also this thing that happens in strawberry mansion which is where you feel like you're in being transported to another place and you're getting your bearings and you're feel like an outsider and you're being subjected to somebody else's whims or some other the, the feeling of another place yeah. i can't imagine lost in translation without the soundtrack though. yeah uh, because it's really it, it's it's such a mood piece that yes. uh, it's just hard to imagine the movie without it and uh, there's a there's a, a a great outtake uh, a, a scene that they cut out with uh, scarlett johansson on a robot uh, in a toy store which was i thought of one of the best scenes in the movie and for whatever reason for time whatever, they took it out <laughs> it just it just it just it just resonated with a lot of other stuff that was going on in the movie and I, in a in a in a more telling way i think than some of the things that actually are in the movie but and i think it's I th- maybe on youtube with that clip but it's um yeah but it's 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 my favorite movie of hers yeah definitely it's, there's so i wonder yeah i would really love to know why they cut that out i mean there's they really luxuriate in this um this language thing which obviously the title references but they they have these really really long extended scenes of of, of Bill Murray not understanding what's being said. I, I can't. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know why they couldn't fit in a, a robot scene. If, <laughs> you know, they had plenty of time based on what they kept in. But yeah. uh, the, the thing that I watching it last night on the plane, you know, when that movie came out, I remember they made maybe like the press or, or some interviews made a big deal of how old Bill Murray had gotten. And then watching it last night, I was like, he is so young. You know, he's. Like, <laughs> uh, he's he looks so much older now, but um, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a weird thing that uh, is going to happen to you more often. Over time, <laughs> my friends. Uh, yeah. I'll watch some 20 or 30 year old movie and you're like, God, I remember when they made so much noise about how old he was. And yeah. He's still yeah, making now, movies. Now, now, now Josh and I have the fun of going back and looking at the old trailers from whole episodes that we did like 10, 15 years yeah, ago. Exactly. And we don't look yeah. the same anymore either. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a complete diversion. But it's, it's, you know, to, to me, I remember like, you know, when the Rolling Stones came out with some girls in, in the late 70s, it was like, oh my God, these guys are so old and they're still making rock and roll. And right. you know, they're 34. It's, right. Uh, <laughs> Remember when yeah. Nick said he was never going to be rock and rolling when he was 50? It was just ridiculous. To, yeah. you know, nobody would do that. Well, that was Pete yeah. Townsend. That was, really? Was that? No, I think it was Nick. And was he pushing 80 now or yeah. something like that? Yeah. And he's still, and he's still he just toured. <laughs> Still up there. Um, oh, well, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it's just the last movie on our list. And maybe this is the one to end with just because uh, it's the first movie really that I don't know. A lot of people watch, but wizard of Oz is obviously uh, uh, yeah, is, a, is an all timer for us. And it just rewatched it a, a year or two ago with my little niece and nephew. And I think they, it was their first time watching it. So oh, wait, so hang on, how old are they? Uh, they are uh, six and five. See, I was That's supposed perfect. to show it to a bunch of six-year-olds this past weekend, and then their mothers were like, "I think they're too young." Oh it's no, too it, young. It, What's what to see witches and flying monkeys? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it, there's yeah, they they loved it. I think uh, you can tell those parents that it it's been approved by uh, <laughs> a six and five. But yeah, you know, that, the people that, who made the tongue movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, don't, don't uh, mention the tongue. Don't mention. The yeah, tongue. I might leave that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, just the, the, the colors in that movie, the sets, mm. the, the music, everything is just, and you know, just, since it's been remastered, it looks even better. I mean, I, I saw that picture at a kitty matinee when I was a kid in the fifties and it was obviously a, a, a reissue print. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, it wasn't a successful movie until they started showing it on television. Right. And it had always been a very disappointing box office. And, uh, and then it, it's like, it's a wonderful life. And then all of a sudden it became like this, this hallowed classic that they were shelling out a lot of money to, to yeah. run on uh, uh, you know once a year um, it, and now it's but now it's been restored and it looks great and it's it's it probably looks as good or better than it did when it was new right That's it's hard to imagine that it that it it didn't have us just sustained uh, prestige and glory from the top because it, i mean it's just such a, a the, uh, to me it just feels like the gold standard of a, a simple imaginative um uh, like just you get swept up in this thing and it's and and it's got all these great characters and, and they're and it's so funny and colorful and but it's also a gold standard of a horror of a hollywood movie i mean the, the way yeah, that that the way that that system worked and you know there's three directors on the movie so right. it's like you know it's not <laughs> like a tourist triumph right uh, but it's uh it's just one of those things like with casablanca where all these dis disparate pieces all worked this time yeah you know and i think it says something when you ask uh i think i've read in multiple interviews that both like david lynch and john waters who you know are kind of like the midnight movie they both had the start of the midnight movie with pink flamingos and Razorhead. they both list that as their favorite film you know and i think <laughs> like that and you know making very different types of movies but i think it just inspired it inspired everybody who's seen it i think from a young age it just sticks with you and it definitely you know we we ripped a couple things directly from that like um there's a there's a giant pink bubble in our movie spoiler alert a giant pink bubble that they float oh. away in 
and it's you know directly i've seen that before yes. yeah where, where have you seen a giant pink bubble on the screen you know so <laughs> yeah yeah and by the way lynch does that too so. yeah and yeah wild at heart i think wild he, at heart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah do you do you remember where like the first time you saw it like how oh you know it's one of those things where it just feels like it was always there it might have been with my grandmother she she showed me a lot of movies when i was a kid we'd watch them on her little tv so i'm i'm guessing it was uh sometime over the holidays with my grandmother um I remember the first time I saw it with an audience, I was working in Rochester, New York in 2007 at the George Eastman uh, house and they have a theater there. And we showed a Sunday matinee on film and there was about 200, 250 kids there. And it was just the most fun, you know, I had never seen it projected before. And that was a whole nother experience to see it with, you know, young kids who were kind of like running up and down the aisles and singing and, Mm. you know, (laughs) don't forget it, yeah. How about you, Kentucky? Have you or have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wizard <laughs> so of you're, you're familiar with the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you remember uh, your uh, your first time? Or? No, I don't. But it is one of those movies that yeah, it just feels like you're. It's it's always been there. You you, you see the images throughout your whole life, and maybe you watch. It, it's like the TV effect where you you see it on TV and you don't see all of it, but it's just like these bits and pieces. I, I saw it. May I, I might have seen it for the first time in its complete form a couple of years ago at a th- yeah at a theater in Brooklyn and uh, I, you know kind of expecting to just go there just to f- just this kind of see the images and 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 experience the technicolor uh and maybe not be as engaged as uh, you know as a as a movie that would be coming out now um but I was just transported and it just felt like it was this this the, the shortest movie I'd ever seen I was just so I, I was I was just arrested by it, and it was um, incredible. One of the, one of the more memorable experiences of the last five years, cinematic, um, of just just revisiting that world. And 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 uh, yeah, it's we we definitely want to make yeah. When every project we start, we sort of you know through, put it through the lens of what how it relates to Wizard of Oz. So do you guys have another thing coming up? Yeah, we we're working on one now. We're writing it, and um, it it kind of you know the uh, Strawberry Mansion was our second film we made together, so this one's going to be our third. And we're kind of thinking about it like an unofficial trilogy that we're making. It's just it's a little bit bigger uh, than than the last one, and um, yeah, kind of going more in the direction of uh, or going even deeper into like more masks and more special effects, and but but also trying to really ground it in a in a love story and in a relationship story. Um, so, yeah, and it, uh, this one in particular really feels like a, um, a, a entry into the land of Oz or like the Wonderland, uh, even more so, which is like this this crux point, which is so fun to work with, which is real life going into this fantastical realm, and it's just like the switch, and and anything can happen when you go through that corridor. And um, it's hard to imagine making a movie that's not that formula at this point in our lives, because it just, it just seems like this never ending play playground that we can work in. See a never ending story and a never ending playground. There you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> um, and your first film is uh, it's Silvio, correct? The first feature. Yeah. Silvio. And is and... That, can people see that somewhere? Is it available? Is it um, yeah, out, it's, it's, out in the world? I think it's on, um, you can find it online uh, in the usual places where they, they appear for, 
VOD. Um, and we did, we, yeah, we did put it up on YouTube for uh, leading up to the release of Strawberry Mansion. We, we're supposed to take it down. I think we said we'd have it up for one month to try to get people to watch it, but uh, maybe we'll keep it up an extra week or two. So. Well, now you should have after the after the huge amount of people who are going to be drawn to it after hearing it on the right. <laughs> well, yeah. we'll keep it up. It's free on YouTube. So, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks, guys. Um, well, yeah, yeah, no, gentlemen, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you on, and um, it, it it really was. There's just an anxiety with which I'm sure I mean, we all understand this when it's uh, especially with a lower budget film, um, which is so goddamn hard to pull off. Uh, there's, there's a, you know, I always go in with hope and anxiety and, mm -hmm. um, the, the hope paid off, uh, mightily <laughs> with this one. Um, really it's a, it's absolutely delightful film. People should go see it, go see it in theaters. If you can, it should still be showing in some and, uh, it just, uh, hit VOD. So, um, please check it out. And, uh, thank you very much. Very eager to see the next one. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much. Josh Thanks, guys. Joe. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. Stay safe out there, folks. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.